how does community flourish? How does it function? How do we allow the spirit to work amongst individuals, but also to move communities? Welcome back to Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. I'm Helena Martin. Each week we listen in while two of our faculty here at Yale Divinity School discuss a text from the Revised Common Lectionary. In this episode, we have Felicity Harley-McGowan, research associate and lecturer, and Bruce Gordon, Titus Street Professor of Ecclesiastical History. They're discussing 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, which is appointed for Sunday, January 16th, the second Sunday after the Epiphany. The text is read for you by Julian Sieber. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. I think what strikes me uh, with great clarity in this particular passage is the contrast between diversity. We have a lot of differences of administration, different gifts, um, words of wisdom and so forth, and yet the ways in which that diversity really, it seems to me in the text, is used as a, a turning point to talk about unity. So... That was an image that emerged for me as a particularly striking one through the text that although we are encouraged to think about and bring into our own minds diversity of gifts, either of ourselves um, or our family members or people within our community, some of those gifts we find more comfortable than others. We're really compelled here to, to think about the ways in which diversity is important for for unity. And I think certainly in some communities that's a great challenge, isn't it, in terms of thinking about the ways in which difference can be the point of cohesion rather than of fragmentation. I think what's really engaging for me at the beginning of this text is that Paul has a way of saying things that allows you to see what the problem in the community is. And he says here, you know, I need to talk to you about spiritual gifts, because this is clearly 
an issue. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. So suggesting that at least some of them are, or they've been disagreeing about this. And this is something that, that speaks across the ages and certainly speaks to, to our time is what are legitimate gifts and, and how do people with different gifts actually work together? Because that's much easier said than done when you have a church where somebody is particularly talented or gifted or able to do something, but is hopeless in something else, you know, or, or is, is difficult in other respects and trying to put those pieces together into something that works. And I like what you say here is that the way Paul talks about it is that it's not us trying to put those pieces together. The unity is in the spirit, as he stresses. It's God who provides the unity and diversity of, of gifts, and it's God who finds, or at least enables us to, to be together, although we could be very different in, yeah. in our talents, and probably, as ever, with people who are, have different talents, probably irritating each other with, with their you know, the way in which somebody can do something and, and, and not something else. But the opening really suggests that this is a community that might be in some conflict or some level of argument about spiritual gifts. It sort of calls to my mind a, a sense of we've all been in these communities where someone new might come in and expresses their own faith or their own their own devotion in a particular way and is confronted with that, well, we don't do things like that here. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so you're right. There's an immediate frisson or a flavour of something that, um, that Paul wants to, to direct them to. And one of the challenges with, particularly with spiritual gifts, and certainly this is an issue that has never gone away, is how do you decide what's legitimate and what isn't? In an earlier time, I would say, but also very much in the flourishing churches of the global south, you have discussions of good and evil spirits. And, and that's something, you know, liberal churches in the West have, for the most part, moved away from and are deeply skeptical about. But for the vast majority of Christians who are outside, certainly outside of Europe and North America now, this, this is an issue of spirits are very real. And the issue of spiritual gifts is not something that was just confined to Paul's time, but is still, this is what the Bible says, and this is what happens, and spiritual gifts are possible, and they are signs of faith, and they are signs of, of the presence of the Spirit. But for other people, or even within communities, there are questions of is this demonic? Is this a dark force? That's right. It, it makes me think of the uh, debates. We have very little evidence in early, early Christian communities for the uh, practice or the specific kinds of practice of music or even of dance, and yet we know that for other religious groups and mystery cults and so forth, those expressions of of faith and of worship were extremely vibrant. And some of the evidence that we have from certain early Christian writers is of the negative kind that we confront 
in our own world today in terms of any exuberant dancing is, as you said, somehow um, akin to the demonic or that we shouldn't sing in a certain way or be too um, wild in our expression of religious fervor because then we cross a line. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's interesting that these we think that somehow we control certain methods of worship or expressions of faith and perhaps the compartmentalization of you know denominations or religious groups is assuages our anxieties perhaps in that we feel that if we're involved in one group where that doesn't happen it's okay and we're not exposed to those dangers but really these are these are conversations right from the start about gifts but also methods of expression or the ways in which the spirit is working and and this reference here to idols is interesting also because we also know that for some communities there's from the outset a fear too of the ways in which uh, visual representations are a provocation to feelings of religious fervor or misdirection of energy of of worship and uh so it's interesting with this this text really takes us down a a deep mine shaft in a sense to a world uh that is not is not really so different from our own in terms of the the ways in which we are discussing similar elements of of diversity and unity how how does how does community flourish how does it function how do we allow the spirit to work amongst individuals but also to move communities uh, together i think that this passage for many of us who have lived much of our lives in liberal Protestant churches in the West, it's like a bucket of cold water. <laughs> because the gifts, if if we were asked to enumerate what are the gifts, spiritual gifts, we would probably say things of various virtues that we admire in ourselves and in other people. And for the most part, they are framed around control and order and structure. But that's not what Paul says here. Paul goes on to say that the the gifts include healing. They are knowledge, they're prophesying, and there are tongues and and these are things that we say, oh, that's those are, you know, charismatics or Pentecostals. And indeed they are. For Pentecostals and charismatic Christians around the world, the gifts of the Spirit include healing. They include speaking in tongues. They include the ability to do extraordinary things. You know, there's a, an idea in the West, well, the age of miracles and the age, and, and Paul talks about miracles as being one of the gifts. Oh, that was all in the past. That age is gone. We don't live in that now. We live in a kind of rationalized a world where which is not full of demons and spirits, but is all very explicable in scientific terms. Well, as I said before, the vast majority of Christians don't believe that at all. And they take much more seriously than we do that these are the gifts that, you know, the spirit, as you say, in diversity brings us together. But that's a much broader tent than most of us are willing to say it is. And those, the range of those is, is enormous. And I think we've impoverished it by saying it's actually only a small number of things that we approve of. Exactly. 
it's absolutely true, uh, even my, for myself, I guess, this perception of, you know, I believe the healing miracles in the New Testament, but it's easy to assign sets of behaviours or events to the past that those things happened then and that was part of the church then. But for me now, that's quite different. And yet I, I think about, you know, increasingly as as I get older and working in a divinity school, obviously, you know, a lot of people who are connected to churches, but generally speaking, you know, there are less people in your life that are regular church churchgoers. And yet when something catastrophic happens, whether it's, you know, well, a pandemic or um, cancer or a traumatic event, many people who've previously had no connection to the church will turn or or even we ourselves will look for and then entertain the possibility that a healing miracle could be possible. I think what the, the, the text just reminds us is, is the power of the Spirit. Thanks for listening. Check out YaleBibleStudy.org for more Bible study resources and follow us on Twitter for updates at BibleYale. Chapter, Verse, and Season is produced by Joel Baden, Kelly Morrissey, and me, Helena Martin. Production help is by Chriselle Bryce, and our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. Thanks to the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. And thank you to Professors Harley McGowan and Gordon for being with us this week. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.